As we've been following Mark's gospel, our sermon series has been called Mark My Words. So as we work through this gospel together, we're taking a closer look at Jesus' words through the gospel of Mark. And each of our sermon titles have been words from Jesus. And our sermon title this morning is, What Do You Want? Have you ever tried this? You go up to your spouse or a family member or a friend and you say that you're about to ask for something and that no matter what you ask for, you want them to just say yes. Or maybe your children have tried this on you. Mama, you are so beautiful. You're such a good mama. I'm about to ask you for something, <laughs> and no matter what I ask for, will you please just say yes? Daddy, I love you so much. You are so strong and handsome. By the way, there's this new video game. Will you just say yes? A few years ago, a family movie came out, and our kids love the simple idea behind this movie. Some of you have probably heard of it before. It's called Yes Day. Have you heard of that film, Yes Day? The plot is simple. For one day, one day only, a mom and a dad have to say yes to whatever their three kids ask of them. And so you can imagine the wild and extravagant requests that they're children make of them yesterday and then we have mark chapter 10 teacher james and john say to jesus in this passage we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you can this please be our yes day this scripture from mark chapter 10 is the third time in mark's gospel that Jesus has taught about his impending death. Just before the text I read earlier, Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit upon him and flog him and kill him. And after three days he will rise again. And we can predict what happens next after Jesus says these words because we've already seen it twice in Mark's gospel. The disciples will follow up Jesus' teaching on his death by doing something silly, something that reveals their lack of understanding. Because the first time that Jesus teaches about his death in Mark's gospel, Peter rebukes him for saying such things. And the second time that Jesus teaches about his impending death, that he'll be crucified and killed, we're told that the disciples did not understand. And then the disciples begin to argue about who is the greatest among them. And then in our text from chapter 10, once again, Jesus is teaching about his death. And then what happens next? James and John approach Jesus and they say this, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. In other words, Jesus, we're about to ask you for something big. 
Will you please just say yes? In Mark's gospel, Jesus responds this way. What is it that you want me to do for you? And James and John have this bold request. Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. You see, even after three different rounds of explanation, the disciples still don't get it. They don't understand what is about to come. They can't wrap their minds around what the Christ, the Messiah, is about and what's in store for him. The well-known New Testament scholar N.T. Wright puts it like this. I like this quote. James and John want to turn Jesus' messianic journey to Jerusalem into a march to glory. A glory in which they will sit on either side of him when he reigns as king. They have clearly heard all the language about suffering, death, and rising again simply as a set of pictures. Perhaps meaning it's going to be tough, but we're going to come out on top. But the cross is not, for Jesus or for Mark, a difficult episode to be got through on the way to a happy ending. It is precisely God's way of standing worldly power and authority on its head. The disciples are headed with Jesus into Jerusalem, and James and John still see it as a victory march. Here they come with the chosen one, the Savior, and these two, perhaps still reveling in the fact that they were the two who got to join in the remarkable moment of transfiguration in the previous chapter, they want to rightly position themselves. They want to be the ones flanking Jesus as they anticipate his rise to glory upon the entrance into that holy city of Jerusalem. And actually, this desire probably sounds familiar to us. Think about the people who stand next to an actor or a singer after receiving a, bigger, a big award. Or the people standing behind a politician signing an important piece of legislation. Or the folks that gather around an athlete as he or she finalizes a record-breaking contract. If they can just stand close enough. If they can just be by their side they too can be a big deal. And we see this all the time. We watch people cozying up to rising athletic, musical, or political stars. You can make a pretty good living riding someone's coattails. Or maybe greed and self-ambition isn't the motivation. Maybe these disciples just want a front row seat for what will surely be a wild ride. Teacher, grant us whatever we ask of you. We want to be on either side of you. We want to be in the middle of the action. We want to be next to you in all your glory. But James and John have the wrong picture in mind. In fact, Jesus comes out and says as much. He says, you do not know what you are asking. You just don't get it. Do you really think you want to drink this cup that I'm about to drink? 
do you really think that you want to take on all that I'm about to take on? Now, there's definitely foreshadowing here in Mark's gospel because the gospel will later tell us that Jesus himself doesn't even want to drink that cup. Later in the Garden of Gethsemane in Mark's gospel, just before his crucifixion, Jesus will pray these words, Abba, Father, for all things, For you, all things are possible. Remove this cup from me. Yet, not what I want, but what you want. Not what I want, but what you want. As we keep reading through this passage, Jesus goes on to say this to the the disciples. I won't choose who sits at my right hand or at my left. Rather, that role is for those for whom it has been prepared. And this, again, is more foreshadowing to Jesus' death. Because, indeed, on his last day, Jesus will have someone at his right hand and his left hand. At his crucifixion, as you may remember, Jesus is placed between two criminals. In fact, Mark chapter 15 says it this way. And with Jesus, they crucified two bandits, one on his right and one on his left. James and John don't know what they're asking for. As we talked about last Sunday, from here on in Mark's gospel, Jesus will be presenting what we could call an upside-down kingdom. We saw it last Sunday with the rich man, Jesus instructs the rich man to sell his possessions in order to receive treasures in heaven. And here, once again, Jesus is presenting an upside-down kingdom to his disciples. James and John want to cozy up to Jesus, and the honor and the glory that they expect comes with that. But their rising star would be raised up on a cross, not on a throne. Jesus would be given a crown made of thorns, not a crown of jewels. And in this passage, Jesus reminds them of this upside-down kingdom. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Not to be served, but to serve. During the season of Lent, there are traditionally three pillars or three spiritual practices of Lent. Fasting, giving, and praying. Those are the three pillars of Lent. Fasting, giving, and praying. Now, last Sunday we talked about fasting. The practice of letting go of the possessions, preferences, or perceptions that keep us from fully experiencing God's grace and calling on our lives. And this morning's passage from the Gospel of Mark points us to the pillar of giving. This has traditionally been called almsgiving, a term which has its roots in the Greek word for mercy. Almsgiving is simply giving or serving those who have a need. The season of Lent and our journey with Christ to the cross reminds us 
that God gave everything, even his only son, and that Jesus gave everything he had too, even his own life. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Not to be served, but to serve. Is it fair to say that we sometimes convince ourselves that the ultimate joy or reward of a successful life is reaching a place when we're finally well served? Where we have enough resources to be taken care of. Sometimes we view the ultimate joy or success of life as reaching that place where we can be taken care of, where we have enough luxuries maybe to be pampered, where we have enough people waiting on our needs and wants and wishes, where we are rightly positioned in a place of honor. But in the season of Lent, Jesus' voice is ringing in the background asking us, what do you want? Those are Jesus' words from chapter 10. What do you want? What do you really want? The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Jesus in this passage is flipping the script on James and John. He's showing them an upside-down kingdom. They expected a king of glory, and Jesus shows them a servant. A savior whose glory came not from sitting on a throne, but ultimately from hanging on a cross. What do you want? What do you really want? During this season of Lent, where we take ourselves back to those three pillars or spiritual practices of fasting and giving and praying, this is a good time for us to ask the question, how can we seek not to be served, but to serve? How can we participate in that ancient practice of almsgiving, giving to those in need? Giving to those in need of a little mercy? Giving to those in need of a little money, in need of a little companionship, maybe in need of a little loyalty, how can we give to those in need of a little laughter? Those in need of a little distraction. How can we give to those in need of a little bit of our time? How can we give to those in need of a little service? The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And Jesus is asking us, what do you really want? Do you want to be served? Is that the glory that you seek? Or do you want to serve? Because that's the kind of glory that flips the world on its head. That's the kind of glory that seems so upside down. But that's exactly the kind of glory that Christ is walking into on his way into the holy city of Jerusalem, on his way to the cross. Will we choose to walk with him 
Will we choose to serve or be served? What do you want? Jesus asks the disciples. And in this season of Lent, may we open our ears and hearts to hear Jesus asking us the same question. But what do you really want? Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, you sent your son as a savior, but as a savior who was a servant. He gave everything. He gave even his life. And in Christ, your unmatched love for us was perfectly revealed. In Christ, you show us that you are willing to give whatever it takes so that we may experience full and abundant life in you. So this Lenten season, help us to pray and act on these words. That the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And so help us to look for ways that we can serve. Help us to look for opportunities where we can give. Now we pray these things as we continue to worship you. And we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the servant of all, who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.